We are talking about hope in our message series, Hope Restored. I looked up the definition of hope in the dictionary. Uh, it's kind of a long one. It says an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life. I mean, that's kind of long. A more biblical definition, a shorter definition, I would say, is an expectation of something good in the future, and that something good has to do with God, God working in our lives in the future. It's connected with God and his kingdom. And so today I want to start off by talking about two kinds of hope that we need to have. The first is hope for this life, the life that we're all living right now. Uh, we're going to hopefully be here 80, 90 years or even more. We don't know. We have that on, on the earth. So what does that kind of hope look like? What kind of good should we be expecting in our lives here in this life? Well, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so the first part of this verse, the thief, Jesus is referring to Satan as a thief. And he seeks to steal from us. He seeks to kill and destroy us. Now that doesn't bring any hope to my heart. Uh, what Satan wants to do to us. That is uh, not something that we can have hope for. But Jesus, on the other hand, he says, I came to have life and life abundantly. Other translations say that Jesus came that we might have an overflowing life or a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came that we might have a life that's overflowing with God's goodness. That's something we can look forward to. That's something that we can have hope for. Because true goodness only comes from God. And so the first kind of hope that God wants us to have is hope for this life, for the life we're living right now. Hope for tomorrow, hope for next year, hope for the future. The second kind of hope that God has for us has to do with eternity. Eternity is the life that we're going to enter into after we pass on, after we die. Jesus said in this very famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so again, in this verse, we see two options, don't we? The first option is people who do not believe in Jesus, they're going to perish. That does not give hope to anyone. To have a future in which you perish is a, is a hopeless situation. In fact, you're going to perish eternally. The second, and so this first option is for people who are going to spend eternity without God. They're going to spend eternity under God's judgment. And that does not bring hope to anyone's life. The second option is to have eternal life. And that is for those who believe in Jesus. And they're going to spend eternity in God's presence. That gives us hope. And so when we have that eternal hope for what's going to happen to us after we pass on, we can have hope in this life. Because this life is simply really a short period of time. 70, 80, 90 years before we enter into eternity, which goes on forever and ever. 
If you have this eternal life as a believer, then we should be having hearts that are overflowing with hope for what God wants to do in and with us in this life. Now today I've entitled the message, Seal the Deal. And it's, um, we're going to be talking about how we can have this assurance that we have this eternal salvation and how we can live that out in our lives today. How we can have hope for God's plan in this life that's ultimately going to lead to eternity with Him. And so God wants us to have a hope in His goodness. He wants you to have a hope in God's goodness for your life. And not give in to hopelessness. So first of all, we want to make our calling sure. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter uh, for this, uh, in this message this morning. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. It says, His divine power, which is God, has granted to us all things. You might want to circle that all things in your program. All things. Not just some things. Not just a few things. But all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him, that's Jesus, who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so when a person is saved, when a person becomes a believer in Jesus, it's, it's not just about going to heaven one day. It's certainly that's true. We're going to spend eternity with God. But in this verse, it's saying that God has given you all things. God has given you everything you need to live this life with hope. To accomplish God's purpose. Nothing that you might need to live a godly life. To live a righteous life is lacking. God has given you everything that you need. And how do you access everything that you need in life? It says through the knowledge of Jesus. Through the knowledge of knowing him. The one who called you. The one in whom you have decided to believe in. And to know Jesus. When it talks about the knowledge of Jesus. is not just to know that a certain man lived 2,000 years ago in Israel, walked this planet. It's not just to know about his life. It's to, to know him personally, to have a relationship with him. So let's go into a little more detail about how we can grow in the knowledge of him, how we can grow in our relationship with Jesus so we can have hope in this life. Verse 4 says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so this really is an amazing verse that talks about how we can grow in God. It says God has given to us his precious and very great promises. And where are these promises located? Well, they're located in the Bible. They're located in God's word. And most of the promises in the Bible are what we would call conditional promises. That is, you need to do something and fulfill the condition in order to reap the blessing of the promise. We've already talked about a famous promise in John 3.16. This promise says that if you believe in Jesus, then you're going to have eternal life. And so you have to fulfill, the, in order to have eternal life, you have to fulfill the condition. You have to believe in Jesus. And that's how promises work. As we fulfill the condition, we reap the blessing of the promise. And it says in this verse that we partake of the divine nature. That means that as we believe in the promises of God, 
The life of Jesus inside of us grows. The Holy Spirit controls us more and more. In other words, we become more and more like Jesus. We become partakers of his divine nature. No, we don't become divine. We, we don't become Jesus, but we become more like him. Our attitudes that we have, the things that we do become more like Jesus. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So we skip down from verse 4 to 10. In between these verses, Paul gives us a list of qualities that we need to add to our faith in order to grow as a believer. Qualities such as self-control, goodness, love, and a number of others. And all of these qualities are fruits of the Holy Spirit. They're things that the Holy Spirit works in our lives so that we become more and more like Jesus. Now, the growth of these qualities in our lives is not automatic. It says in verse 10, be all the more diligent. Uh, we need to, to work at it. Uh, we need to cooperate with God to see our lives transformed. Now, this verse ends with another promise. If you do that, if you practice these qualities, as you grow in your faith, as you add to your faith, you're never going to fall. Now, that's good, right? We don't want to fall. Uh, falling is not a good thing. He's talking about falling away from God, falling away from your belief in God. Verse 11 concludes this section. It says, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's speaking of eternity. As we live for God in this life, it's preparing us for eternity and the things that God has for us there. And so we seal the deal, we seal our salvation with God by putting the things he, he calls us to and his promises into practices. And so let's think a little more about these promises that are in, in the Bible. There are People have tried to count the promises in the Bible, and it, it's kind of hard to do. There's thousands of promises in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. There are promises in the Bible, things that God promises if we do something, we're going to have a blessing come into our lives. So how do God's promises help us grow in God? As we said before, they always involve something good happening in our lives, some blessing that God has for us if we fulfill the condition of the promise. But as we do that, what impact does it have in our lives when God says, if you do this, I'm going to bless you, and we do what he asks us to do, and blessing comes into our lives? What impact does that have on us? Well, it builds our faith, doesn't it? It builds our faith. We see God's blessing come into our lives, and guess what? Once you receive a blessing from God, what do you want more of? More of God's blessing. And so you want to follow him ever more closely. And so we grow in hope. We grow in faith for the future. And not only do we grow in hope and faith for the future for ourselves, we begin to realize that if that worked for me, that's going to work for somebody else. And so we see somebody else struggling and we say, well, here's a promise from God for you. If you do this, then God's going to bless you. If you... If you Follow his word here. He's going to deliver you from this situation that you find yourself in. And we can give hope to others. There's a lot of hopeless people around us. 
or people who need more hope in their lives. And as God works in our lives, then we can be a blessing to them as well. Now let's talk a little more about the importance of God's Word. We've talked about His promises are found within God's Word. But the Bible is a big book. Who knows? The Bible is a big book. It's a big one. So how do we, how do we grasp it? How do we understand where these promises are? Well, we need to stay rooted in the truth of God's Word. And so Peter goes on to talk now about God's Word in more detail because we have to be convinced that God's Word is true in order to believe in it and put it into practice. In verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word, speaking of God's word, the Bible, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now he's talking here about the prophetic word. All of God's word is, is a is a prophetic word. All of the Bible is a prophetic word. I mean, there's different parts, but he's speaking of the whole of the Bible. And at the time that Peter was writing this, basically the only written part of God's word was the Old Testament. And he's saying that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Why was that? Because Peter walked and talked with Jesus the Messiah, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Peter and the people he was writing to had seen Jesus. They'd seen Jesus work miracles. They saw Jesus die. They saw him after he rose from the dead. And so that the promises of the Old Testament had been confirmed in the, light of, in the life of Jesus. And it says that this word, God's word, is like a light shining in a dark place. Psalmist says the same thing. Your word is a light to my path, a lamp to my feet. And is there to teach us because we are walking in a dark world. We need light to direct our path. God's word is that light. Verse 20 goes on to talk about God's word. It says, knowing that, the, knowing that first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Now, unfortunately, today, God's word is not respected. And why is that? Well, there's a common idea that the Bible is just simply something that men dreamed up. They had some thoughts about God. They wrote it down. They wrote some stories. It's just a concoction of man's own intellect. But this verse says, no, God's word is not like that. It's not any man's interpretation. So how did God's word come into existence? He says in verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Yes, there were men that wrote down the words in Hebrew and Greek that we have in God's Word, the Bible, we have the names of the books. Usually are the names of the authors. Not always, but usually. Paul, Moses, David, and we could go on and on. Samuel, 
Peter. He's writing 1 Peter. Now, how did they know what to write? It says the Holy Spirit carried them along. The Holy Spirit spoke through them, and they put down God's word, the word that he told them to write, down into writing. And that's what we have today. That's what we read from God's word. So the Bible was not created by the ideas of human beings. People were influenced. People were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the word carried along is also used in the Bible in the Greek language for a ship that's carried along by the winds and the waves of the sea. And so these men, the ones who wrote down God's word, were carried along by the Holy Spirit by the wind of the Spirit, to put down the things that God told them to write. And that is why, what do we refer to the Bible as? God's Word. It's not a man's Word. It's the very Word of God. Jesus himself said that every single letter that is written down in God's Word uh, was not going to perish. It was written by God himself. It was inspired by God. And so it says we must pay attention we must pay attention to God's word. We must carefully study it so that we can understand it, so that we can put it into practice. You see, when you go to college and you major in, you know, whatever. I majored in chemistry. Uh, you made people major in all kinds of things. You have a whole bunch of books you need to master, right? Every course has at least one, you know, the courses that have one textbook in chemistry, they're like, 1,500 pages long or something. Uh, in some courses, you have a bunch of books you have to master. When you go through college, there are dozens, hundreds of books that you're going to have to read. As a Christian, how many books do you need to master? One. It's got a lot of pages. It's got more than 1,000 pages. But one book. One book in a lifetime to understand. One book in a lifetime to master. One book in a lifetime to apply to your life. God's word never changes. It's been written and established for all times. It deals with God who never changes. It deals with the human condition, which really never changes. The people a thousand years ago are just like we are today. It's like, oh, we've evolved. No, we haven't. We're exactly the same as they were back then. Yes, because of the explosion of knowledge, we have computers. They didn't. We're no smarter than they were. In fact, they probably were smarter than us. Uh, God's word never changes. It was written for all of us. And the truth of God's principles there apply to every aspect of our lives, not just spiritual matters. And as we order our lives according to the promises that are written in God's word, it brings God's blessing into our lives. So practically, how can we stay rooted in the truth of God's word? Well, that's simple, right? It's really simple, but... It's not so easy to do because I was just hearing over the weekend, uh, somebody said we are the most distracted generation in history. We have all kinds of distractions that will distract us away from God's word, that will distract us to all kinds of things, some bad, some just useless, uh, some just a waste of time. So how do we stay rooted in the truth? Simply reading, listening to, applying God's word to our lives on a daily basis. Easy to say, not so hard, not so easy to do. Much of what we hear in our culture and our media is not based on the principles of God's word. And so we need to be able to discern what is true 
according to God's word and what is false. And how do we learn discernment? Through the study of God's word. The Holy Spirit can help us or will help us to learn to understand God's word. Some people say, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. Well, nobody fully understands. I don't understand everything in God's word. There's parts I don't understand. But there's a whole lot of parts I do understand. And as you read God's word, there's going to be a lot that you do understand that you can apply to your life. And that those that you don't, just skip over. Don't get upset. Like, I don't understand, you know, what is the point of this two chapters of genealogies? Just skip over them, you know. You're not going to, uh, God's not going to strike you down because you didn't read all the begats. Uh, use what you understand. And so, how do we learn? We learn on our own as we read God's Word on a daily basis. We learn as we're taught by someone, like on Sunday mornings or in a small group. Uh, We encourage everybody to be part of a small group, and we hope to have some new small group options uh, available in the new year. And so, uh, you'll be hearing more about that as well. Finally, uh, Peter tells us to guard our salvation. Let's move on to 2 Peter 2, verse 1. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. And now he's speaking about the Old Testament times. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Those are the people he's writing to. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And so it would be nice if. If. Everyone who spoke about God's word or the Bible or every church that spoke about spiritual things, it would be nice if they all spoke the truth. But that has never been the case. There were false prophets in the Old Testament. A false prophet was someone who claimed to speak from God, but the things that he said were not from God. In the New Testament times, beginning after Jesus was raised from the dead, there were false teachers. People who claimed to be teaching God's word, but they were teaching things that were not right, things that were incorrect, things that were false. And false teaching brings, well, it's destructive to those who embrace it because it's not the truth. It's also destructive to those who teach it. How can we recognize false teaching? Well, we compare it to the written word of God. God's word, the Bible, is our gold standard. We compare other teachings to that. And if it doesn't agree, we know it is false. The Holy Spirit can help us to stay alert to false teaching, stay rooted in the truth. Now, what is the the lure? Why are there false teachers? Why are there people who listen to false teaching? First of all, they may not know the truth of God's word. And secondly... It says in verse 19, they, speaking of the false teachers, promise them, the people who listen to them, freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And so a common theme of false teaching is freedom. It was back in Peter's day. It is certainly true today. It's sometimes falsely labeled as God's grace. And this false teaching teaches That as a believer, it doesn't matter how you live. Because Jesus has forgiven all your sins. So just live any way you want. Jesus has forgiven all your sins. It really 
doesn't matter. You're totally free. You're free to do whatever you want in life, no matter what the Bible says. However, when you live a sinful lifestyle, Peter says you're going to become a slave to that. You're going to become a slave to that sin, to that corruption. The only way to live in true freedom is to live as a godly servant of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say about these false teachers, which were present in Peter's day, have been present down through the 2,000 years since then, are present today. He says, verse 20, For if after they, these false teachers, have escaped the defilement of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. And so this verse describes these false teachers as people who were once saved. They once knew Jesus Christ. They'd escaped the sin of the world. And yet they begin to believe falsehoods. They begin to teach these falsehoods. They begin to be entangled and overcome in sin, thinking it was freedom. They'd fallen away from the faith. They were worse off than before they were saved. And the same is true of those who listen to and follow false teachers. We must guard our salvation against the lies of false teaching and false teachers. Now, the gift of salvation, it's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to receive it except to believe in Jesus. Salvation is not only free, it's, it's precious. It must be guarded. Our enemy, the, our enemy, Satan, the thief that Jesus talked about, he uses false teaching to lure those who are not rooted in the truth to lure people away from God. And so we must be alert. We must be on our guard. We must know God's word. We must not assume that every teaching that we may listen to on spiritual matters is true. Many are true. Many are not. Even those who claim to be using God's word may not be teaching the truth. And oftentimes they false teacher will mix some truth of God's word with some things that are not true to deceive people. And so if you're not sure about something, check it out in Scripture. Now, as part of the Assemblies of God, we have a website. If you haven't been to it, I would encourage you to look it up. It's ag.org. It's a very, very short website. Very easy to remember. ag for assemblyofgod.org. And on that website, there's a lot of things, but there are one section has position papers based on God's word for many of the controversial topics of today, dozens and dozens of them. And so you want to know what the Bible says about something. You read something in the news. I wonder what the Bible says about that. You can go there. You can find a position paper. It'll talk about what the Bible says about that topic. And they're not one page. OK, they're, it's going to go in a great detail about that topic and what God's word says about it and can help you understand. Uh, you can also speak to myself if you have questions about something, other leaders in the church, uh, and it's good that we can help one another uh, to understand what is true and what is not so that we can guard our salvation and continue to walk in God's truth. And so God wants to bring hope into the life of every believer. He wants us to continue to grow in God, putting our faith into practice. He's given us wonderful promises in God's word, promises of blessing in every aspect of our lives. 
uh, our spiritual lives, our relationships, our jobs, every aspect God wants to bless. But in order to reap those blessings, we need to stay rooted in the truth of God's word. We need to build our faith and hope in that, being on guard against anything that would lure us away from the truth of God's word. And as we do that, God's going to fill our lives with hope. When we look to the future, we're going to see good things that God has planned for us. We're going to see the blessing that he has for us. We're going to see things that are wrong in our lives today. As we look to the future, we're going to see God's going to restore that. God's going to heal that. God's going to work good out of that situation. And one day, our hope is in eternity with Jesus. That's going to go on forever and ever. And some of the things that we put up with in this life, the aches and pains, disappointments, the things that go wrong, it's all going to be gone. And we're going to spend eternity worshiping him. And that is our, that is our great hope for eternity. And so today, I want to give everyone an opportunity, as I do, both those listening in person and those listening online, give an opportunity to become a believer, become a follower of Jesus Christ, because that's where true hope comes from. And to do that, you need to admit that you've done wrong things. We all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. You repent, you turn away from those things, and you believe that Jesus died to forgive you. He died on the cross. He rose three days later from the dead. He's alive today, and we commit ourselves to following him as our Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. And uh, I'd encourage you, if you'd like to recommit your life to the Lord or commit your life to him for the first time, to pray along with me something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've been following my plan for my life and not yours. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. He paid the penalty for my sin. And he rose from the dead. He's alive today and I commit myself to following him and his word. To following him as my Lord and Savior from this day forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to take communion as we do about once a month. It's for believers. Uh, if you've committed your life to Christ this morning, uh, you can partake. The communion cups are available on the foyer. In the foyer, if you didn't pick one up, you can get one right now. Um, personally, uh, I have forgotten. Bethany, can you give me? <laughs> can you get me one, please? <laughs> We ask that you do not partake until uh, we're ready to do that. Whatever your need in life is, Jesus has made provision for it through the shedding of his blood. Thank you. So Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And so the cup that we drink is a symbol of the blood of Christ that forgives our sins. 
We also remember what Jesus did for us through as we eat the bread, which represents his body being broken for us. 1 Corinthians 11.24 says, When he had taken, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Jesus' broken body means that he was broken to bring healing to us, to bring healing to the broken aspects of our lives. Whether we need physical healing, emotional healing in our lives or in our relationships, or spiritual healing. And so I'm going to be quiet for a minute here, and it's just a time for us to, to reflect on our lives, to see if there's anything we need to lift up to God, any sin we need to turn from and ask for forgiveness, any broken place in our lives or relationships that need His healing touch. Or any emotional part of our life that needs healing. Worry, anxiety, fear. You need that taken away and you need that replaced with hope. So I'm going to just be quiet for a minute. Let's just each spend some time, a couple minutes here, reflecting, listening to God. Let's, let's eat bread which represents the broken body of Jesus. Let's drink the blood which represents the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body that was broken, that we might be healed, that we might be made whole, that we might have hope. God, we pray for those here today that need a touch in their physical bodies. We pray for those who are in our church family who can't be here today that need a touch as well. We pray for your healing, God. We know you've worked miracles in the past. We pray for your healing touch on people's illnesses and different things they're dealing with in their physical bodies. Father, we pray for your healing touch upon our minds, which sometimes drift into worry, sometimes drift into fear, anxiety. 
God, we pray that You'd replace that with a hope. A hope for good things in the future, not bad things. We pray that our faith would grow to believe You. That You bring healing to our minds. For those that struggle with spiritual issues, and we pray that You'd cause our faith to grow and bring healing, forgiveness, freedom from any sin that binds anyone into any type of bondage. We thank you for your shed blood that forgives us. No matter what we've done, it's sufficient to bring forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness that sets us free, that cleanses us that makes us clean before you. We thank you for that forgiveness that brings salvation into our lives as we put our faith and trust in you. We thank you for that precious gift, that that gift of eternal life that begins in this life as we walk together through this life with you and continues right into eternity. Help us to grow in that life. Help us to stay rooted in the truth of your word. Help Help us to grow through the promises that you put there. Help us to believe those promises. Put them into practice in our lives and and reap the reward, reap the blessing as we grow in you, as we grow to become more and more like Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd help us to guard our salvation, God. That you'd place a hedge of protection around each of our lives, a hedge of protection around our church family, God, that we would not be misled by the lies of the enemy, whether it comes through temptation in our own minds or through false teachers or wherever it might come from. Help us to have our lives rooted in your truth. We thank you, God, for all the blessings you brought into our lives. We pray that this coming week we would remember and be thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.